Heavenly Father, we thank you for these wonderful truths that we have sung about, we've heard about today in the pages of your word. Lord, if there's any reason for joy and rejoicing, surely it is in these truths that in the midst of our weakness and failings and our own bondage and sin, your grace is greater than our sin and a wonderful Savior has rescued us. And we thank you for the gospel of grace, Lord. It is that which we today are celebrating. And we are celebrating our Savior, Jesus Christ. We're celebrating the ministry of the Holy Spirit, who is indeed the spirit of adoption. And we're also celebrating, Lord, your, the, the love that you have for us as our Heavenly Father. And we ask, Father, that again, you might be at work using your word to penetrate our hearts, to renew us, to change us, to infuse us with your power, and to do your work, Lord, in each heart and life here today. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. I'd like you to take, a, just before I start, as I start my sermon, if you take your notes uh, in your insert in your bulletin, if you take that out just for a second of your bulletin, and I'd like you to do something with it unusual here, just for a second, for illustration purposes. If you'll take your insert and just fold it from the top part down to the bottom and fold it in half. Just crease it right there. Just fold it from the top, holding it straight up, and then fold it in half like that. Okay? So if you'll just hold that just for a second. Now, I'm going to use that as a measuring tool in just a second. I'd like to begin with the thought about the Olympics. How many of you know that we have Winter Olympics right around the corner, right? A lot of us know that. Okay. Uh, this illustration is not uh, anchored to Winter Olympics, but it's about, uh, I believe it's the Summer Olympics. Uh, and there are tremendous athletes we respect. So many of them have devoted so much time and effort, and they have amazing skills and abilities. But I must say to you that, I mean, it's one thing to skate around in a circle. It's another thing to ski down a hill. I mean, people do those things, but they just obviously, obviously can do it better than most. People can run. I understand those are skills that many people have, but these are probably some of the best runners. But one of the skills that I cannot still fathom how anyone ever does this is in the competition of the balance beam. In gymnastics, there's this gymnast who will get on this crazy board that's elevated in the air, and they do all of these movements, spinning around. And actually, they'll go backwards and then do a, a backward handstand. And then they'll do an actual flip backward. Can't even see where they're going. I mean, it's unbelievable. Do you find that to be amazing? I mean, how many people... Nobody can seem to imitate that unless you're an incredibly skilled athlete. And now I want you to take this piece of paper, and I want you to notice... The width from here to here is just a little bit over four inches. That is the width of a balance beam. It's barely the width of your foot, right? Now, I say, I say again, I respect all these athletes, but to me, some of the most amazing athletic performances, in my opinion, this is just merely my opinion, is the gymnast who maintains her balance while she's doing this routine. And she, as long as she's doing that, she has the complete freedom to continue the routine and perform and compete. But once that center of gravity, which would take me about five seconds, 
All it took was is to lose the center of gravity going one side or the other too far, and it's over, folks. You're off that beam, and you no longer have the freedom to perform that routine. Okay, you can now unfold your sheet. It's okay. I'm done with the illustration, but you got the point. I start off with that balance beam thought because we're talking about freedom that we have in the gospel of grace, a freedom that is to be enjoyed only if we continue and maintain what I am calling a biblical balance. We have to keep our balance if we're to enjoy this freedom we have in Christ. If we get off balance and, and we're no longer squarely on the balance beam, as it were, of biblical truth, we easily then can lose that freedom as children who are enjoying the gospel. Now, I talked last week about some people who have destroyed and gone too far in one direction or the other. Uh, we looked at a number of weeks ago, we've looked at the issue of people who abandon biblical freedom, the liberty we have in the gospel. They abandon it entirely because what they're doing is they become enslaved to doing all the things that they feel like they have to do in order to become right with God, and therefore we call that legalism. They are very much in, uh, focused on relying on their performance, adding to Jesus' performance in order to gain merit with God. You could say that the summary of legalism is that people keep trying to save themselves rather than relying on Christ, enjoying the freedom we have in Christ. The other extreme, falling off the balance beam in the other way, as it were, is what we looked at last week in the passage here in Galatians chapter 5, in which people abuse their Christian freedom. This is a situation which we call, often call, we, we, the title we, of this particular error, going off in the direction, losing our balance, is license. That is, we're just free to relinquish all restraint. We do whatever we want, whatever we please, with no boundaries governing our options as we live life. In other words, I keep living for myself. So if we go to this side of legalism, you're way off balance, you're going to lose your freedom. If you go to this side and lose your balance into license or licentious living, you're going to lose your freedom that we have in the gospel in Christ. Now last week I noticed that there were a number of reasons why the idea of going off into the error of license, of licentious living, free living for myself, is not a proper response to the gospel of grace. We looked at this from Galatians chapter 5. I'd like to begin just by reading that passage, but then I'll look uh, expanding verses 16 to 18. So if you'll find your Bible there, we're going to be reading here in Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 to 18, page 1388 in your pew Bible. Galatians chapter 5, beginning at 13. For you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. In the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. In the statement, you shall love Oh, sorry, I read that. Uh, verse 15. But if you bite and devour one another, take care lest you be consumed by one another. Verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. 
For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Again, last week we noticed that the gospel frees us to serve other people in love. And we said that because Jesus really is the model for us in that sense. He says in Philippians chapter 2 that we are to have the same attitude, the same mindset as Christ who did what? He humbled himself even to the form of a slave, a servant, laying down his life, serving other people, becoming concerned about their interests more than his own. And therefore, we understand that the gospel of grace, it means that we are now served, we are now are set free from the need to have people serve us in order for us to gain our sense of security, our sense of identity, our sense of importance in the world, is that we now are freed because of the gospel. We find that in Christ, and therefore we are freed now to serve other people. Secondly, we also notice that because of the gospel of grace, we are freed in such a way now that we can live in harmony with the revealed will of God. That is, Scripture summarizes what God intends for his people to do. We have oftentimes failed to do that. We still fail to do that. But loving our neighbor as ourselves is one of the outward fruits of a heart that says, I truly love God. If I love God, if that's my desire to live out of my desire to love God, it will evidence itself in my loving of other people. And rather than using other people, because of the gospel and Jesus now as our new master, he changes our hearts so that we now have new desires to now desire to follow in his ways. And out of our love for him, out of our gratefulness to him and the gifts that he's bestowed to us in his grace, we now say, Lord, I just want to live for you. I want to serve you. I want to give myself to accomplishing what you want to see happen in this situation, in this person's life, in, in this particular setting, wherever you've assigned me. 2 Corinthians 5.15, it's not in your notes, but again, it's a great way of summarizing this second point about loving God and loving other people. Paul says, Jesus died for all, that they who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and who rose again on their behalf. So this is just a review and a summary of where we went last week. Now we're going to move forward and begin looking at verse 16 through 18 of Galatians 5, and we're going to find additional reason here as to why it does not seem appropriate. It's not a, 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 a ridiculous, it is an inappropriate response on the part of many people to, to go toward the extreme of licentiousness. That's not appropriate. Why? Well, this is the third reason, and here it is in your notes. The third reason is the gospel of grace liberates us to follow the lead of the Holy Spirit. You see, there's another factor here that Paul wants to be sure is in the equation so we understand the liberty we have in Christ, and that includes the understanding of the role of the Holy Spirit. The gospel of grace clearly reminds us that the benefit when we gain as we enter into a new life in Christ is that we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit, letter A, ensures that we are going to see the process of sanctification take place in our lives. The process of sanctification. You see, the gospel of grace starts back here and says, when you come to God 
the grace of the gospel says, first of all, we're going to lift from you the burden of your guilt and your shame before God because you failed to live to his standards. And therefore, it frees us from that condemnation of the penalty of sin. We call that justification, being declared right with God. Therefore, we don't have to be afraid of him and no longer hiding from him. And then the gospel also holds before us the privilege of inner transformation. This has to do with our standing before God, but the second blessing of the gospel is it begins to set us free from the sense of all of our corruption that we have in our hearts to begin to become more and more like Christ. Sanctification. According to Romans 8, every true child of God who receives the gift of eternal life by faith alone is given this free gift of the Holy Spirit who indwells every single believer in Christ. Romans 8, verse 9 says, You are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. Which, if you turn it the other way, it says, if we belong to Christ, we have the Spirit of God indwelling us. And being made into the image of Christ is a process that God carries out in his adopted children. Now, let me just summarize where the gospel of grace uh, plays these things out. It starts first, before we were saved, we were in a condition in which, Romans chapter 6, verse 17, we are slaves of sin. We were caught up in a life that says, I'm going to do what I want to do, I'm going to live for myself, and that selfish living was a life that was not pleasing to God, and that was pretty much the way I lived all all of my life every day. But then we have, through the gospel, instead of being cut off from God and living for myself, the gospel of grace, God provides to us what we desperately need, and that is we need somebody who can pay the penalty of what we owe to God and set us free from this living in shame and avoiding God to now living before God and enjoying God. And that is Jesus, our propitiation. The big word, it was in one of the songs we sang earlier, it just means a God-satisfying sacrifice. Jesus was that to us. And he bore our punishment that we deserve on the cross because we fail to keep the law of God. And then not not only do we have the benefit of the propitiation that Jesus is to us, then we have the ministry of the paraclete. These are two fancy words, but the paraclete means one called alongside. That's the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit indwells us. He empowers us. He helps us and says, I'm going to help you get to where you need to go. I'm here to encourage you and prompt you and enable you with a new life that pleases God. You're not alone in this whole endeavor to try to change. So the Spirit of God who regenerates every believer is the same one who sanctifies and transforms our hearts, our minds, and our desires. Hold your finger right there, Galatians, and turn over to 2 Thessalonians. Chapter 2, 2 Thessalonians, chapter 2, page 1408 in your pew Bible. And just be reminded again of the role of the Holy Spirit in making you become more like the character of Christ. We read 2, Corinthians, 2, sorry, 2 Thessalonians, chapter 2, verse 13. God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through what? Through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. It is God's plan to use His Spirit to sanctify you and every true believer.
count on it. Now, since the Spirit of God indwells every child of God, and He Himself is holy, it is the Spirit's continuous influence is going to point us to the gospel. It makes perfect sense that those who are Christians then are going to order our lives according to the direction of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5, I'm back to that. So that's why Paul says, walk by the Spirit. Walk means take step by step in the direction that the Spirit is going to guide me in. Walk in harmony with Him. Go along with Him in the direction that He wants to take you. It's a call to live a habitual lifestyle that we follow the lead of the Spirit of God, step by step, moment by moment, day by day. Just keep in that direction is the new life we enjoy in Christ. It's a tremendous blessing that is ours now because of the gospel of grace. And I would suggest to you that walking by the Spirit, if he, uh, Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, walking by the Spirit is a great summary of the Christian life. That's a way to, to sort of bring it into a one concise little way of thinking about it. that's what it means to live the Christian life. is to walk by the Spirit. Not walking by the flesh, not fulfilling the desires of my unredeemed humanity. It is to walk by the Spirit. Because that's who I am and that's who He is in within me. Now that leads me to a point of clarification. This is very important. My next point, B. Walking by the Spirit is not without conflicting desires. How many of you have ever gone to a doctor, gone to a dentist, and when you're sitting in that doctor's seat, I guess you'd say, the dental chair, they call it, and they tell you, now listen, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. You're going to feel a little pinch. You're going to feel a little pressure here. You're going to feel a little burning in your arm when I put this material in your vein before we take this scan of you, whatever. They give you a little heads up. This is what's going to happen, so this is normal, it's expected, so just know that that's uh, something that you should uh, not, not be too surprised at. Giving a heads up tells us this is something normal. This is what Paul is doing in this passage in verse 18, 17. Paul's saying, listen, even though we're Christians, and even though we're privileged to have what he's just affirmed, that the Spirit of God is in us, and he's the one who's, we're going to walk by the Spirit, and the Spirit's indwelling us to live a new way, it does not mean that the process of sanctification is without conflicting desires. There's a war going on in every true believer. There's a battle going on, and the Christian life always involves struggle on some level it's not like what it is to sort of coast downhill you ever ridden a bicycle i love to ride bikes in the summertime i'm missing it right now it's very cold can't do it uh but in the summertime i'm on my bike early in the mornings uh, i'm up on bike up to to west meadow beach it's a great 18 mile up uh, nine miles up nine miles back nobody's on the road early in the morning it's great anyway you go up to Stony Brook, you pass by the university, and you get to the top of the hill, and it's all downhill, baby. I don't pedal. I just take it easy. Got the wind in my face. I'm just relaxed. It's wonderful. It's incredible. All you have to do is look for potholes. I mean, that's all I'm doing is trying to avoid the potholes. That's not really a very accurate metaphor for the Christian life. 
Just because you get the Spirit of God does not mean it's all downhill, just let the wind blow in your hair. You understand what I'm saying? You can count on this struggle. Believers face an inner tug of war that goes on inside of them. And guess what? We're not alone in that struggle. Some of you may think, you know, I'm the only one that deals with this. I can't understand what's wrong with me. I want to calm those, uh, those, those concerns, just like a doctor calms the patient before he gives I'm just going to tell you, Paul's saying to us, you're not alone. Paul himself struggled with these things. You say, really? He dealt with the fact that he's got these conflicting desires in his heart, even though he has the Spirit of God? Sure did. He sure did. Turn to page 1345, or Romans 7, in your Bible, page 1345, Romans 7, and see if you can identify with the same things that the Apostle Paul dealt with, with this conflicting inner desires that Paul sets forth here. Between the desires of the flesh and desiring to do what the Spirit wants him to do. Beginning in verse 15, 715. What I am doing, I do not understand, for I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate. Can you identify with that? There's a part of you who says, oh, I don't want to be doing this anymore. I don't. And next thing you know, you did it. For me, it's complaining. I'm saying, okay, Lord, I'm going to wake up and be thankful today. I, that's my goal. I just want to thank you for everything. Give me about 10, 30, 11 o'clock. I'm already complaining and I'm murmuring about something. You struggle with that? We all do if we're true believers. But watch what he says. Look down at verse 18. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, that is, I want to do what's right, but the doing of the good is not. The good that I want to do, I do not do. But I practice the very evil I do not want. Do you hear a struggle going on there? Can you identify with that struggle? I sure can. I've been a Christian now for over, I don't know, 40-some years. I still have that struggle. Paul was a very strong, committed believer. And here we find ourselves wanting to do what's right, probably at the beginning of the day, saying, okay, I'm going to get on the right square. I want to follow the Spirit. I'm going to walk in the Spirit today. I'm going to, I'm going to really do... And next thing you know, what did I just say out of my mouth? What kind of evil thought or impure thought just went through my head? Come on. Guess what? Welcome to the club. I'm just trying to tell you. This is what Paul's setting forth here. There is this conflicting desires that go on in the heart of a true believer. And notice what he says there, verse 17. He gives this helpful, accurate explanation of why we have this dynamic. Verse 17, Galatians 5, The flesh sets its desire against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. These are in opposition to one another. They do not get along with each other. They are not on the same page. They're exact opposites. So you may not do the things that you desire, please. So every Christian then is pulled in two opposing directions. We're pulled by our flesh to pursue our own interests, oftentimes following the patterns that we're so naturally 
uh, a part of the way we respond to life and deal with things. Then there's another part of us now in which we are pulled in the opposite direction by the Holy Spirit who's trying to get us to act in accordance with our new identity, our new status as a child of God. And this struggle may lessen over time, thank God. The struggle may lessen. I want you to hear that. It's not going to be as maybe as intense as sometimes you may feel it. It will lessen over time as we grow in maturity in Christ, as we change some of our response patterns, as we see old things done away with, replaced with better ways of responding. But the struggle is ongoing until we're glorified. But my friend, there is that day of glorification coming. I want you to be aware of that. There's a word of hope here. Those of us who struggle saying, oh, I wish I could finally be free of all this. There will come that day, my friend. We're not fully, fully redeemed completely yet. Now, unfortunately, down the road, along in time and history, some people have come, across, come on the scene and they have said that when we come to Christ, our old nature is eradicated. Maybe you've heard some people teach that at some point. And they would say to you, listen, we are able, as a true believer, you get the Spirit of God within you, you are able not to sin. Be careful, folks. They have taught that somehow they would understand that Christians in this life are capable of attaining moral perfection. I say to you, ask those people to read 1 John chapter 1 very carefully. And then have them read this passage right here in Galatians chapter 5, verse 17. Have them read that. And then just say to yourself, you don't need to tell them this, but you need to think to yourself this fact, that anybody who claims that kind of understanding for themselves either has an elevated view of their own moral goodness, that is, they're denying some of their own corruption and struggle with sin, or they're disregarding the high moral standards that are set in the Scriptures. What's holiness and that kind of thing? So what I'm trying to say is that every believer faces this internal civil war. As one commentator put it here in your notes, he calls it an ongoing, irreconcilable antagonism. Antagonism, irreconcilable antagonism. It just keeps going on. Now, some of you, I think, if you're young in the faith, let's say you've come to Christ not too long ago, and you've noticed that there are some amazing differences going on in your life. You've, you realize, oh, wow, I, I, I no longer want to do this. I used to do that all the time, and I didn't think about it. I don't, I don't want to do that anymore, but I, I'm really starting to really take an interest in reading the Bible, and I, I'm aware of how much my language is not appropriate, whatever. And God's made all these um, uh, obvious changes in your desires. It's, it's very clear. There's something going on that's different. But now you're saying, after a while, you say to yourself, <clears throat> You know, before I was a Christian, when I think about it, things seemed easier for me. Now that I'm a Christian, I find myself at war with myself. Because I, I, I know I want to do this, but then I don't. I'd go back and do this again. I'm, I'm, I don't want to do this, but, but this is what I want to do, but I don't, I'd go back and do this. My friend, that's actually a good sign. It's actually a good sign in this sense. What you're experiencing is the evidence that you have what? New desires. The Holy Spirit is working in you. The Holy Spirit says, hey, let's walk this way. And your, your flesh still says, no, I want to go this way. But you still have this, that's a good sign that you feel the, the sense of this divided kind of desires going on. That's a sign that the Spirit of God is working in you. 
Before you became a Christian, there was no opposition. (laughs) You just did what you wanted to do. But now you're facing the constant demand to sort of think through, who am I, replacing the old response patterns, the old habits that used to become so natural, and you're replacing those with new habits over time. And a true believer has both the sinful desires and the godly desires. Now I want to talk just one more quick moment, and then I'm going to move on to my last point. Just a quick thought about why is it that these desires are still so strong to me in doing the things that I don't want to do in my mind, but I still find myself doing it. And I would suggest to you one of the things at the root of that is to remember that Jesus Christ, when we desire to obey him and we desire to sort of go our own way and we get drawn into, uh, you know, finding ourselves longing to do the things that that are uh, not pleasing to Christ, it's often because we've fallen back into being our own savior. We're living... In our own strength, we're trying to sort of meet our deepest needs in ways that have to do with ourselves rather than relying on who we are in Christ and being fulfilled somehow apart from Christ. And all the desires to sin are rooted in a lack of trust in God's grace and God's goodness. So one of the ways to fight against the idea of the pull of our flesh is to keep feeding our souls with realize how good and how gracious God is. Tim Keller is quite good on that, I think, and rightly so. And then I have this quote in your bulletin, your notes there, about sin from John Piper's uh, helpful, short, succinct insight. He says, sin is what you do when your heart is not satisfied with God. It's when your heart is looking for satisfaction apart from the gospel to something in someone else, rather than being satisfied in God with Christ. Much more I could say about that. Let me just move to my final point here. I want to be very quick and clear on this. The only hope, and we're looking now at verse 19, 18, sorry. If you're led by the Spirit, you're not under law. The only hope of gaining victory over the desires of the flesh is to continually surrender to the leading of the Holy Spirit. The leading of the Holy Spirit. If you're led by the Spirit... You see, true Christian freedom is not found in licentious living, living for yourself and freedom to doing all these kind of things that are wrong. It rather, true Christian freedom is enjoyed by believers who are yielding to the promptings, who are yielding to the leading of the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God is is actually pointing us to Christ. Years ago, I came across a book by J.I. Packer called Keeping in Step with the Spirit. I don't buy a lot of what he says in the latter part of the book, but the first part of the book is quite good, including one particular page in which he used as an illustration about the ministry of the Holy Spirit a very helpful analogy. He used the analogy of the fact that when John's gospel, Jesus said, uh, the Spirit of God will glorify me. He will take what is mine and he will make it clear to you. He will glorify me. That's the role of the Spirit is to glorify Christ. John chapter 16, verse 14. So Packer says, this is a ministry of the Holy Spirit that you could call the floodlighting ministry. You say, what are you talking about? Well, uh, one of the bits of trivia from the Halila family, my uh, dear wife's family, is that her father, 
worked years ago in some branch of the government in which he helped to design at this time, this was back probably in the 60s or 70s, he helped design some engineering for the lighting of the Washington Monument. And so his task was to strategically place these lights, make sure they had the power sources, blah, blah, blah. And so making sure that they pointed up to the Washington Monument so that when you saw this monument miles away, you would see what? The monument, not the lights. The floodlighting ministry is not about the lights. It's about what's being illuminated, what's being helped uh, to uh, show it forth its glory. And so that's the role of the Holy Spirit. And Packer goes on to say this. The Spirit stands behind us, throwing light over our shoulder onto Jesus, who stands facing us. And the Spirit's message is never, look at me, listen to me, get to know me, come to me. The Spirit's message always is, look at Christ. Look at Christ. See his glory. Listen to Christ. Hear the word of Christ. Go to Christ and have life. Get to know Christ and taste his gift of joy and peace. And I would like to add to that. If we are thinking about the life of freedom in Christ because of the gospel, what is the Spirit of God saying to us in saying, I'm going to lead you on? He's saying, listen, revel in the thought of the gracious gift that Christ's righteous robes have been put onto you. And your stinking, filthy rags of your unrighteous living have been put onto Christ. That's the song we sang. They, they sang for us. And I'm telling you, I'm going to have that song sung for us at the end of the service. That was awesome. Our, his robes are ours. It is the blessings of being granted to us because of Christ. He's freed us from our enslavement in sin. And he says, listen, he says, get your eyes on to Christ. Christ lifted the burden of your condemnation uh, that the law had placed upon your shoulders. Just a huge burden just pushing you down to the ground. You can't even hardly walk around anymore. He said, he lifted it off of you and now because of Christ we are completely freed from all that burden because Jesus perfectly and flawlessly kept the law himself. The Spirit's pointing us to Christ, saying Jesus didn't save you to liberate you to sin as much as you please. Jesus didn't liberate you from all your sin so you can live a self-indulgent life. Jesus died for you that you might walk and live in newness of life. Romans chapter 6, verse 4. And then I go to this point. Romans, Romans 8.14 says, All true sons of God are being led by the Spirit of God into greater and greater conformity into the image of Christ. I find it interesting, if you back up a page in Galatians, what does Paul say? He says, don't you remember the Spirit of God? Verses uh, 6 and 7, God sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, we crying, Abba, Father. The whole point of the Holy Spirit is to say, Go ahead and talk to God as, your, as a child because you are adopted and look at what Christ has done for you. He's now given you full rights as a ch- son and child of God. Now I say this because I believe some of us, it's very possible, have lost our joy. We have lost our sense of grace 
We no longer are hearing the good news of the gospel. All we see are our failings. All we see are this internal struggle we're going through in our hearts in which we realize, oh, I keep going in this direction. Oh, I keep going. I know I want to do this. I keep going over this way. My friends, I know that struggle. And that's why I say to you, I, along with Paul, choose not to let that rob me of what Christ has bought for me. And look at what Paul says here. He admits his struggle. Turn with me again to Romans 7, and let's finish with his final point. Paul had this anguish and agony of heart as he admitted to this struggle that was just weighing him down, the weighing down of his flesh. Kept doing the things he doesn't want to do anymore, but he still does them. Page 1345, Romans 7, verse 24. He says, wretched man that I am. Can you identify with that? Have you ever had that in your soul where you say, oh, I am so rotten to the core. I don't want to do this anymore. Wretched man that I am, Paul says. Who will set me free? Who will rescue me? Who will deliver me, the word is what that means, from the body of this death, from the believer's unredeemed humanity, my flesh the sinful part of me. And what does he say next, my friends? What does he say next? Does he say, but I try harder. But, but I try to compare myself with other people so I'll feel better about myself. But I just, I just keep thinking that I'll, uh, maybe someday it'll pass. It's just a phase I'm going through. No, what does he say? He says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And that launches him right into, don't make a stop at the end of chapter 7, go right into what he wrote next, and there he says, therefore, there's no condemnation. He goes right into chapter 8. Those were in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on to continue just expounding, and that's why I had him read, we had read today the passage of Romans 8, because what does he say in Romans 8? He says, no condemnation those are in Christ Jesus, for this law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. And he goes on and on and on, starts talking about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit does this. It mentions the Holy Spirit 20 times in the 8th chapter of Romans. It is the Holy Spirit who enables me to fulfill the law, who changes our nature, who empowers us to gain victory over sin in our flesh, who confirms our adoption, and who helps us to pray, and who ultimately guarantees our ultimate glory. And therefore, the point is what he's trying to say here this morning is this. If we are in Christ, the Spirit of God indwells us. And he is pointing us to Christ, saying, there's your hope. It's not found in here. It's found in Christ, in him alone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you that you have given us the gift of of eternal life in Jesus Christ. We also thank you that we have received, because of Christ, the gift of the Holy Spirit who indwells us and all true believers in Christ. And Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are pointing as hard as you know how today. You're pointing us directly and clearly to Christ. And I pray, Father, that you might have every person's heart here today find hope and help through Christ. 
Lord, we all of us know the agony of heart and soul. Many of us do. I pray that those who don't will be honest and begin to sense the fact that they cry out, wretched person that I am. We thank you that there is hope for us wretched people whose hearts are so divided and torn. We thank you that in the gospel of grace, Lord, our hope is found in Jesus Christ and his righteousness and nothing else. And Father, we pray today that you might help us, liberate us, Lord, from being obsessed with ourselves and our own internal struggles to being encouraged by Christ and helped by the Spirit to keep walking in the direction of keeping our eyes on Christ and realizing that Christ is not done with us yet. And the Spirit of God is there to help us and to point us to Christ step by step. Lord Jesus, meet us, I pray, as we gather around your table. Help the gospel to bring us joy and encouragement in our souls, we pray in his name. Amen.